0: Good morning, hope you had a great Thanksgiving We did, got to enjoy the kids and the energy <laughs> A two-year-old, yeah, the energy, it was great though, it was really good And we have some kids here today, and so in the bulletin there's a Boomer prepared kind of a handout for you guys It's kind of pink, and of course it's a place to color on the back And then place to write notes and things like that on the front and adults, feel free to kind of take advantage of that as well. And maybe you can, you know, share with your children on the way home what you learned through a picture. And uh, But it's right there for you guys to, to engage in. You know, uh, it makes me think when we talk about the Bulletin how our, our mission really at Rimrock has not changed. We want to create a discipleship center. Christ gave the mission to the church to create disciples. And to us, that really has always been this picture of being able to experience God Embrace his grace and then engage And so that's really the essence of discipleship We get to experience God We get to embrace his grace and the message And then engage uh, in our world and in our culture uh, Nick's always been frustrated Because we don't have another word after engage So if you come up with a word that has a G He'll be happy uh, But then, uh, then also really the vision Is uh, right above there under Rimrock Church Our vision is just to be a, a community of people Who live out Christ in us and so as we grow in our faith, we just want to live out Christ in us. And just imagine if each one of us leaves this day and we go live our lives and just live out Christ in us, what an impact God has in our world. And it's fun to see what he's doing. Um, we're going to take on a new series and, and, uh, about culture today. And, you know, culture has kind of many, many layers and many definitions. And I just want to kind of boil it down to a really simple idea Uh, It's defined by the Texas A&M faculty, but culture is just a way of life of a group of people Pretty simple, right? A way of life of a group of people And and so it's like our behaviors and our beliefs and our values It's our symbols that kind of they accept together And generally we don't even think about culture We don't even think about them. It's just kind of passed along generation to generation, but it's really this symbolic communication. So culture is this way of life of a group of people. So, of course, we have a national culture in the United States. We have a culture of South Dakota. We have a city culture. We have a culture in our workplace and a culture in our school and a culture in our family. And and it's just been a wrestle with how do we engage the culture. Uh, It's something that God really put on my heart this summer that I was going to Kind of start uh, this series in January And and pretty soon when things happen to you physically And you don't know what time is You just charge And so we're just going to start And uh, and I really just uh, am excited to see what God does Because it's just this whole process of how God wants to use each of us to engage the culture If you have a limited amount of time left on this earth Which every single one of us does Even though we don't really think about that often How um, would you engage your world? You see, I believe uh, that God has a dream for you, and that's really the title of this message. He has a dream for you. He has a purpose for you. He's called each one of us here and placed us here and created us here for this season right now. And we have this incredible opportunity to see God work through us. Uh, And the objective is not to pursue a dream, but to pursue God. If we pursue God, we will realize the dream he has for us. Uh, For me, this has been a quite a process. Uh, Probably 20 years ago, when I was in my 30s, I was so frustrated, because I just wanted to know what God wanted for me, and I wanted to not have regrets, and I wanted to be able to look back on my life, and knew I did what God wanted me to do, and so I had all these thoughts of what I wanted to do, and to to pursue my dreams that would honor God, and, and really, it just became very clear to me that I could just pursue God, and He would take care of everything else, That I wouldn't screw up his plan for my life. That I wouldn't miss his plan. And so instead of trying to figure out every step of the way, well, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do there? Can I not do this? Can I do this? I I realize that just as I pursue God, he'll provide. uh, The people and the opportunities, and he'll use us for his glory. And so just relax, okay? We can just relax and pursue him, and I can now look back on that over the last 20-odd years and... And just say, I don't have regrets. I really pursued God, and it's very peaceful. And I screw up all the time, and most of you who know me know that when I do, I'll call you right away and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And so uh, if you've talked to me very long, you realize that I've probably called you and said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Uh, And maybe I will have to call a lot of you today after this, but (laughs) but that's okay. You know, and, and, but how do we engage the culture? And of course, we've got to kind of understand the context of our culture. In our culture, we understand, we don't even think about it, but the values of our culture, some of which are just power, and, and we talk about these all the time, and success, and comfort, and we want pleasure, we want food, we want sex, we want am, ambition, to, to, you know, all, we have all these ambitions, we want leisure, you know, we want it have a great family, we want romance, we want ourselves to be satisfied. It's just our way of life, okay? It's the American way. We want success, and we got a picture of what that looks like. And all these things are really good things, but as we learned a few weeks ago, there's only one ultimate good thing, and that's God. And so as these good things take the place of the ultimate good thing, try and take the place of Almighty God, then they become idols, and we start pursuing these things, and we become very frustrated. And so uh, the simple, simple heart of this message is God has a dream for you, and just pursue him. Uh, Father, I just come to you today, and I just ask uh, for wisdom for each of us, for power for each of us. I ask that you would just cut through um, all the issues in our lives to 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 our core, to our spirit, and to our being, and that you would speak to each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that God, you would be glorified. We come today, and we want to see you. We we acknowledge you are alive. We acknowledge you're the great I am. You're the great God of the universe, the Creator. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us by your power and you would be glorified and you would use us to engage as we leave here. In Jesus' name, as your name, amen. Uh, In my opinion, I think to understand context, uh, in my opinion, we live in, at best, a post-Christian culture, at best. And some of you will be offended by that, but uh, I I think that it's uh, pretty evident That the Christian church is not the thought leader of our culture. Uh, There is Christian influence everywhere, okay? But it's just kind of on the edges and in the margins, but not as a centerpiece. Uh, Our culture does not revolve around the Christian church. Our culture does not revolve around an intimate relationship with Almighty God. Now realize there's a difference between true Christianity, which is this relationship with God through Christ, and, uh, and really God's law. So there's a difference between having a relationship with God through Christ and then what God's moral laws are, okay? So a society can be built upon the rules of God and not truly experience and know God, right? Just think about murder, okay? Murder was given as one of the Ten Commandments to Moses thousands of years ago, and it's universally accepted that it's wrong to murder, uh, whether you're a believer or not. Whether you have a relationship with God through Christ or not. You know somewhere it's wrong to murder. And ultimately these things come from God. But until we have the Holy Spirit. We don't understand that these things come from God. And where do we get these things? Well if you go back and you search through the core of, of of how God created the earth. And how God created things. You see that these things come from God. And the core of what's truly good is God, And so the good things that we experience really come from God Even though we don't attribute them to God, maybe uh, We don't understand that from God But murder is uh, kind of universally thought as wrong And of course, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount Raised the bar to murder to be Even those when you're angry at your brother You have this hatred toward your brother And I think there's a lot of people we could think Maybe at a distance that we really hate And we've committed murder And so I think that's important for us to separate out. There's a difference between true Christianity and these moral laws. And often we kind of mangle them together. The other thing that, in my opinion, I think is important for us to understand is there's a difference, the way I see it, in the way the generations think when we engage culture. Uh, My generation and, and above is kind of much more the me generation. Okay, so it's kind of all about me And thus this faith and how we engage the culture comes from our relationship with God And it all comes from this personal relationship with God through Christ The most important thing is for people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior And now for my kids that that is important But for their generation it kind of comes much more of a perspective of justice To do justice, okay To right the wrongs To help those who are downtrodden and, And to be a voice for the voiceless Now To me, both of those things are important. Okay, both represent God. We can we can right the wrongs in our society. We can moralize America. We can make everybody follow the rules. But if they don't know Christ as their Savior, they still spend eternity separate from God. And the other side is also true. We can know Jesus Christ as our Savior and think someday I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with God, and I'm going to live my life not caring about those people. Who are really down and out, those people who are struggling, those people who are struggling, you know, in our society with the, the trafficking and the, the poverty and all these issues that we're, we're faced with constantly. And so the thing about God is He's both. We need a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and God is the God of justice. So we'll see both of those things play out in our lives when we're walking with Him. Now when we thre- feel kind of threatened by our culture... When we get afraid of all the things going on, the, the, uh, the natural response in our flesh is just to fear. And I really think that's kind of the ultimate idol really of our culture, is, is fear, one of them. And so because we start questioning whether God's going to come through, or if he even can, right? And so we see these wrongs, and we don't know if God's ever going to fix them, so we think it's important for us to step in, and we want to become the moral police just to cover for God. In case he can't handle it, he can use me, right? And and we want to come in and step in for him, and we're going to be the ones that are always going to point out truth, point out when we sin, because, you know, obviously we're afraid that the Holy Spirit has abandoned his role, which uh, Christ told us his role would be one of them, to convict the world of sin, And we somehow think, oh, man, that's not happening. Look at that sin going on in our world. And the Holy Spirit isn't doing his job, so obviously I have to step in and do that job. Well, I tell you what, God never said, Steve, you are in the position to convict the world of sin. Okay? I think God can handle it. But when I'm afraid, oh, man, someone's got to take care of this. And when we worship at this idol of fear, we freak out. One author said it this way, and it's kind of blunt, but he said, it's as if as everything has now become this imminent threat. The Muslims, the atheists, the gays, the president, the inner city criminals, Hollywood, the illegal immigrants, the government, the school's hallways. It's like this imminent threat, but I want to tell you something. None of these are a threat to Almighty God. Ah, really. Yeah, none of them are a threat to God. Just an opportunity to show His love. You see, we fear that somehow God's people are so outnumbered and, and somehow we just can't win and, and, and so we've got to point out the wrong in other people, especially the things that we think really tick God off because those are the things that we are currently doing. And, and so we want to point them out in everyone else and, and help God correct the wrongs rather than just trusting Him. But as we engage our culture in fear, we kind of have a lot of responses that really uh, are a little backwards. We tend to kind of be really passive, and and withdraw, and kind of huddle up, and we're pulling everybody out, man, we're pulling away from culture, we're not going to have anything to do with those people at work, you know, we don't want anything to do with them, we're going to pull our kids out, we're going to huddle up, or else we try and become relevant, and we're just going to go along with the flow, and we don't really take a stand on sin, okay, we don't take a stand on what God says is wrong, and so we're just going to kind of go along with the the flow, and you can't really tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Or maybe we want to transform the culture, right? We want to legislate morality. What we want to do is we just kind of want to overpower these sinners with righteousness. And it's kind of our job to do it. And if we can just get a Christian president, the whole world's going to change. Well, that's happened before. And the world hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, if you look at authors' writings through the centuries and through the years you find out that they talk about the struggles with family and the struggles with sin and, and all these struggles going on in their day. And you look back and you read when that was written and you think, wow, that was 1908. <laughs> are you kidding me? That was the good old days back in the 50s. Well, I'm telling you, we're living in the good old days. And 10 years from now, these are going to be the good old days. Okay? And we tend to forget that. The truth is there's sin in this world and we live in a fallen world and we have this opportunity to watch God move. And so I believe there's this balance that that we're children of the light and God has placed us right here, right now, in this culture just the way it is. Just the way it is. Okay? For us to be able to share his love in this fallen world. Isn't it cool to think we could shine his light and his grace to the lost who are in the dark? And we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And and you know what's really cool? is, Is God has chosen you to be his Josephs in 2015, 2016. And it's amazing to see what God does. We're behind enemy lines, but we win. Okay? Just relax. Our God is the God who wins, okay? He's the ultimate one. He's the creator. He takes all these things and works them out for his good. We can surrender to him and trust him and watch him work. You see, he is the great I am. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. He's not threatened by the Supreme Court. I'm sorry. Okay? He's not at all threatened by the White House. No threat to our God. He's not threatened by the terrorists. Okay? He is not threatened. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. And often he does his best work in the darkest times. And just remember that our God is not evil. He is good. He does not create evil. He does not do evil. He is agathos. He is good, purely good. And so he arranges this evil for his glory. And he uses it for good. Just relax, okay? Our God is God. And he's in control. You know, at times he calls us to withdraw. At times we go along. At times we seek to transform But it just requires us to surrender to the Holy Spirit And allow Him to move And so to really engage our culture I'm just convinced we've got to change our paradigm Change the way we see things Change our paradigm about our God And quit freaking out And realize our God is God Okay, and He's alive and He's in control And He's not threatened by the things going on and we also have to change our paradigm about those in our culture, okay? And stop and think what's going on in their lives, how they're somehow looking for God because everybody's wired to worship something. And we're all wired and we're all created to worship Almighty God, and when we don't come to God through Christ, we worship all these other things. And so there's a story that best illustrates this that I, that I read years and years ago, and it's written by Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he experienced this And so I'll kind of paraphrase But I want to give him props For it's his story But he, he remembers A mini paradigm shift When he was uh, it, it happened to him One Sunday morning On the subway in New York And uh, people were sitting quietly um, Some were reading newspapers Some people were lost in thought and, and some were just resting With their eyes closed Okay, it's this calm Peaceful scene You get the scene Right, it's just peaceful It's just quiet It's restful but then suddenly a man and his children enter the subway car and the children were just loud they're rambunctious and instantly the whole climate changes okay and the man sat right down next to me Stephen Covey and he closed his eyes and apparently he was kind of oblivious to this whole situation the children are yelling back and forth the children are throwing things the children are grabbing people's newspapers it's very disturbing and yet this guy just sitting next to him, did nothing. And it was so very difficult for him not to feel irritated, right? He couldn't believe that, that this guy would be so insensitive that he would just let his children run wild like that and not do a thing. He took no responsibility at all. And it was very see- easy just for him to see that everybody else in the subway was irritated. You can imagine that. Imagine that if that happened right now. Okay? It'd just be chaos, and the parents would be frustrated and embarrassed. But... To think the parents just sit there and let them go crazy and and you could kind of get the the sense of what was going on so finally with what he felt was unusual patience and restraint he turned to the man and he said sir your children are really disturbing a lot of people you know I wouldn't I wonder if you couldn't control them just a little more and uh, he sounds kind of polite right and the man lifts his gaze as if to come to consciousness of the situation for the first time and he said softly oh you're right I guess I should do something about it you see we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago and you know I don't know what to think and I guess they don't know how to handle it either can you imagine what he felt his paradigm shifted and suddenly he saw things differently and he felt things differently and, and he behaved differently and all of a sudden he wasn't irritated. All of a sudden he didn't have to worry about, oh, controlling his attitude or what I should say or what I should do. He just felt the man's pain. And and the sympathy and this compassion just flowed through him. Your wife just died. I'm sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? And everything changed in an instant. And you see, really, many people experience that really fundamental shift when they face kind of a life-threatening deal. Uh, All of a sudden, your time becomes short. Or when you see, um, you know, something happens where you step into a new role. You get married for the first time. A new wife, a new husband, everything changes. Or you have a kid, everything changes, right? Or... Or you get this new role at work or something where people are counting on you in a different way. And, and, and it becomes very obvious that to make minor changes in our lives, we can kind of focus on our attitudes and our behaviors, the external things, right? If I can just have positive thinking, if I can just not eat all game, okay, just kind of half the game, today or something like that right and we 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 try and we try and manage our behavior we try and manage the external and at times we can we can change that but if we want to really make significant changes these quantum changes we have to work on our basic paradigms how we see the world we have to in the words of thoreau say this for every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil there is one striking at the root for every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil, there's one striking at the root. And if we want to see these quantum improvements in our lives and in the lives of other people around us, quit hacking at the leaves, okay? Quit worrying about all these external things. It makes me think of the fig leaves Adam and Eve tried to cover up their sin with. And instead, get to this root, okay? That's even what Christ said. Evil, you know, it's not what you put into your body that, that causes sin, okay? It's what comes out of the heart, okay? Okay? Focus on that. Come back and realize who we are in Christ. And, and then realize as who we are in Christ. We surrender to him how we live out and love those around us. And all of a sudden we start to see the story behind the story. And truly, everybody has a story like that man. Everybody has a story like that man if they don't know Christ. And if we do know Christ, at times we live that way. But we can stop and be the ones that just stop and ask. I know it's kind of a long introduction, but... Uh, we have to stop hacking at those leaves and i and i believe that we're just gonna we're gonna use this subway illustration and this paradigm illustration to kind of give us a challenge as to how we can engage in our culture okay one of the churches we were at this year and we were at several through these months was uh and they use three simple words which aren't unique to them but it's just prayer care share And that's really how I think uh, we can engage our culture. Prayer, care, share. Just pray for the lost. And we have been doing that this year as we've been praying for those people in our world. Just begin with prayer. As you start your week, pray for those people in your culture who are lost. And just care about them. God does. Just care about them. And then share, which means simply listen to their story. Why they believe in what they believe. And and just share how Christ has interceded in your life If you're a Christian And what he's done in that situation That's how we can invade or engage the culture Is just to pray for the lost And to care for people and share And and believe me um, We're going to use the life of Joseph As we consider how God engages culture And it's kind of fun to go back in the Old Testament And I took way too long on the introduction To really spend a lot of time on Joseph But we're going to anyway Not now, not that long But uh, if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 37, I just felt like we kind of had to lay some groundwork here. And uh, you can tell me I'm wrong later, that's fine. But Genesis chapter 37, we're just going to look at a couple things from Joseph's life that I really want us to to understand, because I think it's so cool. It's so cool. So Genesis chapter 37, first book of the Bible, verse 1 says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was, plast- was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still young, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report to them about their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, and so they hated him. And they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Okay, the very first point I want us to get, just two, we'll just use two today. First point is that your family has history. And I don't have to point that out to many of you, but your family has history. Okay, so Joseph's father was Jacob. That name meant chiseler or deceiver. And Jacob had spent a large portion of his life trying to receive God's blessings by his own strength. And ultimately, he kind of hit this wall. If you remember the story, he wrestled with God. He acknowledged who he was before God, a deceiver, okay? Uh, my name is Jacob. He's a deceiver. In our terms, it was like he came before God and finally admitted that I'm a sinner, okay? And he surrendered to God. And now God changes his name to Israel, significant name in history, right? And that's Joseph's father, Israel. And that just means God strives or God's fights, okay? So now Jacob had lived quite a life, he had two wives who were sisters Leah and Rachel he loved Rachel not Leah but both were his wife and Leah was very prolific okay Leah has six boys and one girl and Rachel whom he loved is barren and of course that was a big disgrace in their day but she was barren and so she has this idea and she gives her handmaiden Bilhah to Jacob and says um have uh, Baby with him, and so Bilhah ends up with two sons. So then Leah does the same thing and gives Zilpha, and he has two more sons. And then finally Rachel becomes pregnant and has this guy. We're going to look at Joseph. And the way Swindoll says it is this way, which I think is cute. He says all this adds up to where you've got one husband, you've got two wives, you've got two concubines, four mothers, eleven sons, one daughter, which does not equal marital bliss. (Laughter) Do I need to explain that? <laughs> uh, it does not equal marital bliss, right? But you can imagine how Joseph grows up, right? There's jealousy, there's anger, there's this bitterness, this root that runs through his family. There's this strife, there's deceit. It's like competition, it's a mess. And then, so then Jacob decides to head to the promised land, back to Canaan. And as he's gone, his daughter's raped, and, um, and he does nothing about it. He's kind of a passive father, but her brothers do, and they take over and kind of kill all the men of the city. And he still does nothing about that and then Rachel ends up having a baby Benjamin and that's Joseph's brother but she ends up dying in childbirth and then Reuben who's the oldest son sleeps with his father's concubine and so loses his rights as the firstborn it's just a mess right a messed up family and I don't know maybe some of you can talk that You know, you want to hear the story behind the story, just ask about someone's family. And it's like, oh, now I understand why you are like you are, right? <laughs> but, but just realize this. Realize this. No matter your background, God can use you. God can use you. That's what's so cool about the story. Everybody has a history. Joseph's was messed up. And that's where we get the the God's chosen people, Israel, messed up. And yet God uses them to, to change the world. And Joseph's the favorite son. He's kind of treated with these rights as a firstborn. And verse 3 says Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. He makes this very colored tunic. We know the robe story. And you've got to kind of know that, that Joseph originally was kind of tending the flock with his brothers. And uh, his father favored him, gives him this coat of many colors. And really, that it was a garment that was worn—a garment that was worn by those who were exempt from manual labor, and those who were uh, of rank got to wear these colors. So he would be the, kind of the one, as the marked as the one who was going to succeed his father as chief of the tribe. He's going to be the future leader of the household, which normally would have been Reuben, the firstborn. But uh, the the tunic was sleeved, okay, and it extended to the ankles. Uh, the Hebrew word means wrist to ankles. And and you can't work in a robe like that in those days, right? They wore sleeveless tunics to work. And so it would be like if we were going to get together today and he said, hey, let's get together. We're going to dig a ditch at my house. You're going to help me. I'm like, great, I'll do that. I'll show up. And then I show up in like a full-length mink coat. (laughs) Ready to work, right? That's what happened here. And his dad's saying, Joseph, um, you don't have to work like your brothers. And he's young. And they're ticked, right? So there's like this anger and this jealousy and they hate him and there's this bitterness. But just realize your, your family has a history, but God has a dream for you. And, and the second thing I want to cover here, just as we kind of close quickly, but is that God's dreams are often countercultural. God has a dream for you. Pursue him and you'll get to live the dream. But just realize it's often countercultural. It's not what we expect, okay? We live in a fallen world. And so when God calls us to do something, it's not like we usually expect. It's not necessarily on our list. And that's really what he does here with Joseph. In verse 5, Joseph has this dream. He tells it to his brothers. They hate him even more, okay? This family's great. And he says to them, listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed to my sheaf." And his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? And they hated him all the more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream. And he related it to his brothers. And he said, lo, I had another dream. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down to you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept it in mind. Now just remember how the story ends, and you can look ahead if you want. Um, It's not a secret, but ultimately, they all do bow to Joseph, because he ultimately is the head of the most powerful country in the world through this. But it's not the way we would expect it. But this dream is so countercultural, because in their culture... In their culture, the father was the ultimate one. And no one would think of a father and the older brothers bowing down to their little brother. Right? But God breaks into Joseph's life with a dream and it went directly against his culture. And so often that's what happens in our world. And his brothers hated him and they're jealous, but ultimately they're really jealous against God because God's the one who is moving here. And I want to tell you that God's purpose will affect those around you, even those you love. And they may not understand it. And often we're persecuted around, by those who are around us, especially those who are very religious, worried about keeping the law rather than this personal relationship with God. But we can't see God's hidden purposes. And so I believe that God has a dream for you. I believe that you're here for a purpose, and your life is not your own. And so don't pursue the dream. Don't worry about missing it. Don't worry that somehow I'm going to screw this whole thing up. Just pursue God, and you'll get to live the dream. That's where you'll find yourself. And so here, every one of us has a history, and some of it's not pretty, and some of it's amazingly beautiful. But just know that God knows that, and he's chosen us, and he's placed us here in this generation right now and given us the opportunity to engage and he has a dream for us He has a way that he wants to use us, And he puts us in these situations And he brings these people into our lives That seem so random Like it just happened It doesn't just happen, okay We have a God who is ultimate He's amazing And so many Christians are just bored with their lives It's like we go Sunday, next Sunday Nice message See you next week, you know Doesn't, just, not God's insignificant We're just bored and we're focused on ourselves and, But we're yearning for some pathway To get to be courageous for Christ But I, as I said a couple weeks ago True courage is when we surrender to Christ That's when we're courageous When we're surrendered to Christ That's the ultimate of courage Someone who surrenders to Christ It's out of your control You give up the agenda That's courageous To actually trust that God is good Who he says he is And to walk with Him. And and He provides the path. As a matter of fact, often we don't get to choose the pathway that God's going to use to change us and to transform us. He chooses that path. And we have this opportunity to surrender to Him and trust Him or to try and fight against it. And yet, lovingly, He continues to show us the path to be walked on. I promise you, if you just pray for those in your culture this week, if you just care about them, And if you just say, God, show me how to share your love with them, you will not be bored. You won't be bored. Your life will become this grand adventure, walking with the king. And at times, he'll choose you to confront the idols of our culture. You know, we'll stand against greed and against sex that's wrong outside of marriage and against coveting and envy and comfort that's just selfish and power and fear. And, and, you know, it begins with us. And at times, we... We live just in direct contact Contrast to our culture You know I really believe One of the most amazing things For this next generation Is going to be families that Where you have a husband and wife that, that know Jesus Christ And they stay married And 20 years from now People are going to look at that And think oh, You mean You only have one wife You have stayed married all this time Because of Christ Your parents stayed married Your grandparents stayed married That's just going to be So Counter-cultural in our world. And yet, it's like a stark opportunity to share what Jesus Christ has done. And those of you who are already outside of that role and you, you can't fulfill that and you're in a different place, it's okay. Just come before God and say, God, you have me right where I am right now. I want to walk with you. I want to be used by you. You have a dream for me. How does that dream look? And he'll use you right where you are it's amazing how God does it there's this incredible forgiveness which we don't get and this grace and this generosity and this justice that comes through us when we're walking with our God just remember the Savior and tomorrow as you're praying for people remember the Savior and remember the picture of the subway they're searching for God and there's something deep going on that causes everyone to act the way they act and we can't see it but everyone has a story We don't have to fear our culture. We don't have to bash our culture. We're children of the light. And God has placed us here. He's privileged us to live here right now to share the gospel in the context of our culture. So just live looking to see what God's up to. It'll shock you. And it'll be a grand adventure. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to live right now in the United States. 2015 2016 approaches what a privilege and god i thank you that you are the creator and we are the created and we can't see what you're up to we don't understand what you're doing we don't get why you've put us on this pathway some of it seems dreadful some of it seems painful some of it seems great and we don't understand but father we want to know you And so we do come and we pray for those in our world who are lost, who don't know you. Pray even today that you would just break through their their hearts and draw them to know you as Savior and Lord. God, we care. We care about them with the love and grace of Almighty God. And I pray, Father, that you would use us to live out Christ in us as we go forth and we would just share. Listen to their stories and share how you have interceded in our lives and how you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. And may we just bring you glory. Thanks for the privilege, God. In Jesus' name.